0: Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. And today I have my co-author for the recent article that went up on noceilings.com, previewing the 2023 NBA draft lottery and previewing the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I am here once again with Paige Otto. Paige, how are you doing this fine afternoon?
1: I'm doing good, Nick. You know, we're getting closer to the 2023 NBA draft, almost basically two weeks away. So got to be excited about that.
0: Two weeks away and 74,000 no ceilings articles, videos, and you probably have to do 7 billion tweets and Instagram posts. So, you know, two and a half weeks, and I'm sure we will have absolutely nothing to do in that time, right? Just smooth sailing.
1: 24-7. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're here today to talk about the Oklahoma City Funder. So as I mentioned at the top, we just co-wrote a piece on the Thunder, which will have gone up the day before this podcast release. So if you have not checked that out yet, please do go ahead and check that out before you listen to the podcast. But I did want to start with sort of some thoughts on the Thunder roster. And I think we had sort of a similar read on what kinds of players they might be looking at. But let's just sort of start there. You know, the Thunder ended the season 40 and 42. They dropped out of the play-in, lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves. But this is a team that I think a lot of people expected to be, you know, if not one of the 10 worst league teams in the league, maybe even one of the five worst teams in the league, right? This was not a team that was expected to be anywhere near as competitive as they were. And yet, you know, they were above 500 in their last 50 games. They were, you know, within the play in tournament for basically the entirety of the last half of the season. And all of that with Chet Holmgren, the number two overall pick last year, missing the entire season with a list rank injury. So This is definitely a team that I think surprised a lot of people, but, you know, obviously they're still in the lottery because there are still some holes to fill. So what did you think were sort of the main areas where the Thunder might be looking to sort of shore up the roster with the 12th overall pick that they'll have in the upcoming draft?
1: Yeah. And like, as you mentioned, the Thunder definitely exceeded expectations that they had ahead of the season. I mean, even without Chet, which no one really expected them to do making the play in. And then ultimately, of course, losing to the Timberwolves. Um, but as we mentioned in the article, they were 17th in the league and um, three point shooting. Um, I think we both agreed that we want more shooting on the roster, especially with size and just floor spacing in general, um, just given opportunities for, you know, SGA and Jalen Williams to uh, play make for and play with um, and just, Help out Isaiah Joe as he was actually the only person, or I guess the first person on um, the Thunder's roster to shoot um, over five three pointers a game at almost a forty percent clip. Uh, the next person was Lou Dort that only shot thirty-three percent on about five and a half attempts per game. So definitely looking for a shooter that is you know high volume, is more efficient and consistent would just help the Thunder in general, especially with the twelve overall pick.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, we definitely agree that shooting was one of the concerns for this team. You know, part of the reason that they took such a massive leap forward in the way that they did is Shea Gilders Alexander took the leap from sort of all-star slash all-NBA guy to Mm -hmm. being, you know, in MVP contention, right? You know, nearly 32 points a game, you know, just, and the thing with Gilders Alexander is, you know, he's someone who is just primarily attacking the basket, right? His thing is getting downhill, you know, using his sort of weird dribble rhythms to kind of, you know, throw people off, get around them, get to the basket, get to the free throw line, but he doesn't really have all that many shooters to kick out to, you know, and that's sort of the primary thing that we mentioned. But, you know, there was one other sort of concern that I had with this team is, especially with Chet missing the entire season, this was a tiny roster size-wise. I mean, you know, they basically didn't play anyone in the rotation above six. I mean, they didn't play anyone in the rotation above 6'10". And, you know, even then they gave a lot of minutes to lineups with, you know, Jalen Williams at the five, right? And, you know, that's Jalen Williams, the you know, friend of the program, Jalen Williams, not uh Auburn Jalen Williams, who actually is six ten and a reasonable power forward. But, you know, 6'5 mm-hmm. Jalen Williams sort of filling in at the power forward spot because your team doesn't have any size is not, I think, you know, the long-term goal for the roster, even with Chet coming back, you know, size is something they could use. And I mean, this was also a team that was 22nd in the league in blocks, right? This is a team that, mm-hmm. you know, really struggled. And you mentioned, you know, more specifics on how they sort of struggled defending at the rim, right? This is a team that, you know, they have a lot of strengths, especially in terms of scoring, getting to the basket, getting downhill, but having more shooters to kick out to beyond Isaiah Joe is going to be huge for them. And, you know, I think the other sort of big need that we identified for them is this team could really use some help on the interior, especially defensively.
1: For sure. And like, as you mentioned, you know, SGA is kind of like star upbringing, right? Um, Having players around him that, you know, can space the floor and have other prospects and players that offer him rim protection too on the defensive end. I think I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I think they allowed opponents to shoot like 55 to 60% at the rim this season, yeah. which is not the best, right? You so, mentioned
0: in the article 61%. So there we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, got you, so got even worse. you nailed it. Even worse.
1: <laughs> but having those prospects around SGA will just make him shine even more. Right. So I think this is a crucial draft for the Thunder in general. You know, they have a ton of picks over the next eight drafts and like they can do a ton of stuff with it. It's just a matter of what players they want to build around SGA with. Ultimately,
0: I'm I'm stunned. The Thunder have a lot of draft picks. They're investing a lot in the draft. That doesn't seem like them at all.
1: I know. Who totally I out of character. <laughs> Sam Presti, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, but, you know, I think that's, I think that's key though, you know, Chet Holmgren can do a lot to help that rim protection, obviously, but, you know, I think a lot of the concern with Chet early on is going to be him getting to the point where he has more of an NBA ready frame and, you know, having the last year off, you know, rehabbing his foot injury did allow him to, you know, add a lot of upper body strength, which hopefully will help him out next season. But, you know, again, even with Chet back in the fold, I mean, at this point, he's the only seven footer on the roster besides Alexi Mm -hmm. Pokashevsky, who's not someone who you're going to rely upon as your like stalwart pig man down low, right? So this is a team that could definitely use some sort of help on the interior. And I want to use that as a way to sort of transition into talking about the six prospects that we mentioned in this article, who we think might be targets for the Oklahoma City Thunder at 12th overall. And the first of those picks is someone who checks both of the boxes that we mentioned and, you know... Ch- passes those tests with flying colors, and the only issue is that he might not be available by the time he gets to pick number twelve, <laughs> and that's Taylor Hendricks, and he just slots in absolutely perfectly as the power forward of the future alongside Chet Holmgren. I mean, he put up nearly forty percent from three point range on four and a half three pointers a game. You know, he's someone who has shown that he can space the floor incredibly well. You know, he's a six nine power forward as well, who's an exceptional shot blocker. You know. You mentioned that he's someone who you know breaks some of the <laughs> breaks some of the sort of statistical thresholds in terms of mm-hmm. you know dunks, three pointers, and this is someone who again you know just checks those two boxes that the Thunder really need in that you know sort of weak side shot protection. You know, it would be nice to have maybe someone to sort of back up Chet Holmgren specifically at the five, but. Given how small the Thunder ran this past season, like Jeremiah Robinson Earl spent a lot of time as a small ball five, I think Taylor Hendricks would slot in pretty much perfectly as a small ball five there too. So, what are your thoughts on how Taylor Hendricks might fit with this OKC squad?
1: Yeah. And like you mentioned, I don't necessarily think, you know, Hendricks will be a five in the NBA. Um, in the film session he did with our own Corey Tullible and Albert Gim, he actually mentioned that he's a four. Great call. Um <laughs> Sable fog right there yeah um but yeah he's a four you know he has the height he brings the versatility um he's a shooter he's also a great weak side rim protector um he also mentioned he's working on you know adding muscle getting more in shape and working on his ball handling too which i think is awesome for a guy of his stature you know being able to do a ton of things on the floor and impact the game in various ways is kind of what um the thunder's mantra is Right. So I think with uh, um, Hendricks being the 4 2, I just like keep on going back to him being in the pick and roll with Shea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I just think that would be like if they can get them at, I mean, I think he'll be off the board, like as you mentioned. But if they can, you know, do some things, maybe, you know, group their uh, second round picks together and, you know, we'll have to see on draft night. Right. But if they can somehow get Hendricks, I think he would do everything the Thunder want. Um, and a prospect of that stature and like, like a top 10 pick.
0: It'll be really interesting because I can't think of a big man that Shea Gilgisal and has had on the roster Mm -hmm. that can fill as many different niches as, as Taylor Hendricks can. I mean, you know, Dario Saric is someone who has a bit more of a playmaking feel to him, but he's nowhere near the shooter, right? Pukšewski, as we mentioned, you know, his best moments, he can be, you know, really spectacular. His, Worst moments make you wonder why he's still out there on the court, right? So, you know, he's not, you know, I think that most Thunder fans would be willing to acknowledge at this point that he's probably not the long-term answer at the five, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, Chet Holmgren presumably would be the long-term five if you're taking Taylor Hendricks, right? And, you know, maybe the weight concerns are one thing, but Chet Holmgren has shown that, you know, he is still willing to bang bodies even if, you know, he might be undersized weight-wise in some of these matchups, But this is a Thunder squad that essentially will have to roll him out at center, right? Unless they pick up someone in free agency who's just basically going to be like, you know, absorbing the body blows so that Chet can run around, right? But if the long-term 4-5 is Taylor Hendricks and Chet Holmgren, I mean, Chet Holmgren has so much of the ball handling and playmaking that Taylor Hendricks is working Mm -hmm. on, right? And, you know, in the longer term, if, you know, Hendricks can get to the point where he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands, you know, making reads, making plays for himself, you know, driving to the rim, then that would be nice, but because Chet has such an advanced handle and ball handling ability for his size, you know, you can get a lot of that sort of dynamic in a 4-5 pairing of Hendricks and Holmgren with, you know, Hendricks sort of just plugging in gaps, right? Okay, you know, I'm going to space the 4 out to 25 feet, right? You know, I'm going to spot him in the corner. I'm going to, you know, roll hard to the rim off pick and rolls from SGA, or I'm going to be the guy who pops on those, you know, pick and pops and then, you know, get the ball to Chet rolling down the lane, Right. That's a pairing that I think makes a ton of sense in the long term, maybe in the short term, it'll be a bit weird, because I think Chet year one at center, there might be some struggles in Mm -hmm. certain matchups. But I mean, ultimately, if that's what you're going for is a long term four or five, that's exceptional to have alongside, you know, the presumed other three starters of Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, and Jalen Williams.
1: Yeah. And like, as you mentioned, with all five of those guys, they can do so many things that they just complement each other so well. And it flows just so, um, gradually, like it doesn't, um, cause with some teams, you know, it takes a while to, you know, form that chemistry, especially in young teams. And I think the thunder have already gotten to that point. I mean, they are, they, they made the play in when no one else thought they would, they exceeded a ton of what people thought about them. They proved everyone wrong. And I think with Chet coming back, that's going to even add more, uh, Fuel to the fire in general, and I think Taylor and Chet, um, I can just see them playing high-low actions too, um, and just a ton of horns actions too with SGA, which would be super fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the ball handling and passing that Hendricks mentioned himself on that film study, but mm-hmm. you know, also just sort of that pops on the film. This is the kind of thing where you know, ultimately, as you mentioned in the article, the Thunder were top five in points per game last season, yep. right? This was an offense that really, really clicked, but. Hendricks does unlock sort of an element that they haven't had offensively before, but I think a lot more of this is just, you know, on the defensive side, right? I mean, I'm expecting Chet Holmgren to be able to clear up a lot of mistakes and, you know, that's the kind of thing that will pretty quickly turn around this defense, but he'll need someone to cover the back line for him, right? You know, if he's roaming, if he's switching out on the perimeter and, you know, Taylor Hendricks, yeah, as you said, he mentioned he's a four, but I think, you know, he's someone who, if he has to switch on to, you know, Bigger guys, or if he's the guy, you know, manning the back line because Chet's out roaming on the perimeter. I think they could also alternate in those roles too, you know, depending on the yeah. defensive situation. There, you know, the offensive pairing is, you know, something that I think makes a lot of sense. But ultimately, I don't think that's the bigger concern. I think the, you know, bigger issue for the Thunder is, you know, they were near the bottom ten in points per game allowed, and that's mm-hmm. something that the two of them as a combo could, you know, really sort of adjust for a lot of the backline defense stuff that led to them struggling defending at the rim, as you mentioned in the article.
1: Yeah, and one thing with Hendricks too, just because he is so versatile on the, the defensive end, um, the Thunder gave up uh, 10.2 corner three pointers per game, and just him being able to, you know, guard the perimeter and not and kind of just drive people to the basket, and also because he is such a good blocker, being able to take those attempts away from teams too would just be awesome on their end, and you know, getting the points they allow down and the points that they score up in a miss, miss or make league for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was not exactly the best season for him to make this particular example. But, you know, Rudy Gobert in his best defensive seasons on the jazz, you would just look at the number of shots taken at the rim per game and it would just be so much lower than other teams. It's like, yeah, you know, teams don't convert those looks at a very high rate, but part of it is just forcing, you know, forcing them away from taking those attempts, right? Yeah. And, you know, corner threes and rim attempts are some of the easiest points you can get in, you yeah. know, the modern NBA. So being able to limit those to some extent would be really huge for helping the Thunder defense to coalesce. I mean, it's not like they were, you know, a terrible, terrible defense, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the numbers were actually decently positive on their defense. You know, their defensive rating was top half of the league per basketball reference. So it's not like there's nothing there in terms of the defensive pieces, but that ability to protect the rim and that ability to force guys off the corners is really going to be huge. And if Hendricks can help in one or both of those regards, then that would, you know, give this team a chance to not only be you know a top half defense but maybe even push for a top 10 defense next season depending on you know health and also just how amazing Chet is on that end floor
1: yeah i agree
0: for sure all right we're going to take a quick break and then we will move on to some of the other prospects that we are discussing for this oklahoma city thunder piece another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help we have a few more names that a couple more names that I mentioned before we get into some of the names that you mentioned for this article, but I do want to go next into Jed Howard. And it's interesting because on the one hand, I mean, he's much more likely to be available at 12, right? I mean, with Taylor Mm Hendricks, you know, much though he would be the perfect fit, he's also a really good fit for a lot of other teams that will be picking ahead of the Thunder, (laughs) right? So, you know, we have to bear that in mind to some extent, but with Jed Howard, I think his stock has cooled off a lot since the early portion of the season. But, you know, he also was clearly hampered by the ankle injuries that he had later on in the year. But what he showed when he was at his best is he's one of the better movement shooters in the draft. He's a really good playmaker for his size. And again, you know, he's you know he's a 6'7 forward on a team that, you know, ran out a 6'5 guy power forward a lot of the time, right? You know, this is a team that could not only just use the shooting that Jet Howard could provide, but also the size. The flip side, though, is that positional size is helpful, but, you know, the main benefit of that positional size on the defensive end, Howard is, let's just say, not exactly the Mm -hmm. best defender in this particular draft class, which makes the fit a little bit weirder. I mean, you know, Mark Dagnall does tend to prefer guys who can defend at a higher level than Jet Howard in terms of his rotation, but... With Howard, I mean, you're getting someone at 6'7", who can, you know, keep the ball moving, keep the offense churning, you know, when he's got the ball in his hands, you know, he's probably not going to even be a secondary playmaker on this team, right, given how much the ball is going to be in SGA's hands, or Josh Giddy's hands, or Jim Williams's hands, but you know, he's someone who, when he gets the ball, he can make a good decision with it, whether that's, you know, put the ball up quickly, or keep the ball moving, that sort of thing, and I think that he does a lot of these sort of connecting offensive stuff that Taylor Hendricks does with a lot more of a playmaking element that i think would really be interesting to sort of see in the rest of this thunder context
1: yeah i think so too and the one thing i really love about jet is how he like with his size he can handle the ball i mm-hmm. mean the guy has a ball in string. like he yeah. he. i mean yeah i mean i saw him in person back in february and march when they played ohio state and just the way he moves like You're just like, yeah, he he's got that, like, you know, offensive juice that you look for and like uh, primary creators or secondary creators. Right. Um, And him being I don't like in basketball and especially NBA, I don't think you can ever have um, too many people that can handle the ball. Right. That that just means, you know, they're comfortable all around and you're comfortable, you know, letting them do their thing. And one thing about Howard and Hendricks, um, I think Howard can create a little bit more of his own shot right, create more off the dribble, which is just another asset on the offensive end. And with defense, I think he's gotten better over time. I think with his ankle, though, it made it look a little bit um, worse than it was. He looked very slow in his rotation, just getting uh, to close out. He didn't really close out that well, in my opinion. Um, and he just looked kind of slow there. Um, but with these guys that are such like high offensive threats, um, there's a lot of defensive issues. Um, But I think if he were to go to one team, um, the Thunder would be a great spot for him to develop that. And I think with him having an NBA dad and Juwan Howard, I think he'll have that in his head, too, that, OK, if I want to get minutes on the floor, I have to be able to defend. So I think that will be easily instilled in him. And I don't see him, you know, uh, shying away from that opportunity.
0: Right. I think part of it with Howard too is, you know, you mentioned that you can't have enough ball handlers, you know, guys who can do things mm-hmm. with the ball in their hands. But I think part of it also is that, you know, there is a degree to which like if you had five Russell Westbrooks on the court, and I'm <laughs> you know, not not to pick on Russell Westbrook, who did, you know, admittedly have a much better playoffs for the Clippers than he had regular season, but you know. Ultimately, he's someone who, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not really helping you all that much. You know, people have been screaming at him for years to cut when he's mm-hmm. off the ball, you know, to do do something when he's not the engine driving the offense. You know, with Jet Howard, he's such a good floor spacer, but also someone who shoots really well off movement to the point where, you know, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it's not like, okay, well, what's what's he doing to help out, right? He's spacing mm-hmm. the floor at a high level, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, and, you know, ultimately with the Thunder, they're going to want to have the balls, the ball in other guys' hands more when they have those top three. But, you know, if Jet Howard gets some minutes off the bench as, you know, hey, you can run the show for a little bit. I mean, that's something that he can do confidently and comfortably, but it's not the kind of thing where, you know, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it's like, oh, what's what's Jed doing, right? Like, how's he helping mm-hmm. us? He's, he's, you know, he's got things to do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands in a way that some primary on ball guys don't particularly and that I think makes it a lot easier to see him fitting in with this Thunder Squad.
1: I think so too, because like with these high uh respected shooters um and offensive players, it kind of comes down to okay, well if your shot's not hitting, how can you impact the floor? Right. Um and I think uh as you mentioned, he does have good playmaking ability and instincts. And I think at a time too, um uh, there was talks that, oh wait, are we sure Jet Howard is the best Michigan prospect? Right talking about you know Kobe Bufkin right in comparison
0: really I thought you were talking about Hunter Dickinson
1: (laughs) oh my bad I misspoke (laughs) um but I just think uh I do think Jet would be a good fit here I think he would be available at 12 um I I don't know I mean I think he I mean he's one of your best fits I have other ones obviously that I mentioned in the article but I do see him fitting in here for sure
0: what are you trying to imply about my fits huh
1: (laughs) I like them. I agreed with them in the article. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's something. So why don't we talk about another one of my th- three guys that I sort of mentioned up front. And that's someone who I think kind of in a way, in a weird sort of way splits the difference between Taylor Hendricks and Jed Howard. And that's Grey Dick. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, I think, more of a wing than a, Forward. I think, you know, Howard and especially Hendricks are, you know, more three fours. You know, Grady Dick is someone who probably, you know, might spend some time at the two on a different roster. But, mm-hmm. you know, on this roster at six eight, he's going to be one of the better guys on the squad, you know, pretty much right away. He's a much better defender than Jed Howard. He's a much better rebounder than Jed Howard. He's nowhere near the playmaker that Jed Howard is. And he's also not as good of a movement shooter, but he's one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in this draft. I mean, he shot 40% Mm -hmm. from three on 5.7 three-point attempts per game this past season at Kansas. And, you know, a lot of the reasons why we were, you know, campaigning for either Hendricks or Howard, a lot of those apply to Grady Dick, even if not to the same extent. Now, for me, I, you know, put Howard ahead of Grady Dick on my particular list for this, just because I think the playmaking element is not only really helpful, but also something that the Thunder in particular are going to emphasize. Like, they... You know, after a long time of drafting super long athletic guys, you know, the last couple of drafts, they've also started looking at guys who just have, you know, really high skill level who can do a lot with the ball in their hands rather than just, you know, throw Hami Diallo at the rim and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Grady Dick, I think, fits that mold as well, but not quite to the same degree that Jet Howard does. But, I mean, him is a catch and shoot threat you know, especially at 6'8", and someone who can contribute more on defense than Howard. Yeah, I think he sort of is a bit of a middle ground between Howard and Hendricks in that regard.
1: Yeah, and with Grady, Dick, and Jet, just kind of comparing the two, you're kind of trading off playmaking for rebounding. Sure. Right, I think Grady, I mean, he's improved. I mean, he crashes the glass with like 110%. Like he's looking for those second opportunities, whether it to be, you know, push the ball in transition. I think he's a good transition threat as well. Um, getting to his spots and just running the floor Um, and I think he does that a lot too when his shots not falling because there's been a couple games this season where he hasn't really uh, found his uh, stride in his shooting stroke and whatnot so he had to find ways to impact the game in different ways I think I kind of believe in that more a little bit with Grady rather than Jet Um, but as you mentioned he's your solid guy that will knock down shots for you and I think that's good for the Thunder just to have, you know, that one solid guy that you can count on. You know what he's about. He's not really going to do anything flashy, but he's solid. Um, I think one thing that Grady can work on, though, is that he is such an ex- ex- exceptional – I can't talk today – exceptional mm-hmm. shooter um, from downtown. I would like to, him to get more in the mid Um, He started to have some flashes of that, and, like, putting the ball on deck, I think he still needs to work on his ball handling. Same with Hendricks, but um, – yeah, he's your solid guy for the Thunder when it comes down to it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, another element with Grady Dick that is, you know, worth, worth, I think, mentioning is, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the rebounding stuff and that's going to be huge here, but I'm trying to find the right way to say this. I think huh, he's, he's someone who, you know, ultimately is gonna, I think, be more multi-positional than Howard, at least mm-hmm. early on. I mean, you know, it's going to be weird to find a, I don't know. It's not going to be that weird to find a roster construction with jet Howard, but like, he's someone who needs a lot of help on defense and rebounding. And, you know, part of the idea with Hendricks is he can fill some of those gaps, right? If you're, if you're getting Howard, obviously you're not filling those gaps. Right. And hopefully, you know, Chad Holmgren can come back into the fold and fill some of those gaps. But I think with jet Howard, you know, maybe the sort of, offensive upside for the team is going to be a bit higher in the longer term but with Grady Dick you know as you mentioned it's like okay we know that he's going to be able to be someone who just you know we can park on the way park in the corner and he's going to be just fine
1: yeah and with I'm glad you mentioned like the jet how because I also do believe in kind of his offensive stuff a lot more than Grady just like how multi-versatile he is and that comes with obviously jet is more athletic right than grady he can do more things but if you're looking at two i mean you can't really go wrong they offer you know uh what's the word like uh twitchy or like uh fun fun and then just like solid (laughs) i guess when you put it bluntly but um i really like both of them i think i mean i have jet and my top five shooters in this draft grady as well um i just think if I would were to pick like who would be available more at 12, I'd probably go jet. <laughs> I think there mm-hmm. is um, a life or, you know, time that Grady does go before jet, um, not the other way around. So that's a thing to think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, I it's funny because I have jet higher on my board than Grady Dick. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think, I think a lot of that is just, you know, I buy into some of the offensive stuff with Howard, a lot more in the longer term, but, you know, in a way, Jet Howard kind of fills one weakness for the team, but also just bolsters them in a huge area yep. of strength for them. I mean, you know, with those three primary ball handlers that they mentioned, that we already mentioned, plus Jet Howard, right? That's that's a team that has so many different offensive avenues of attack, right? Mm-hmm. Grady Dick doesn't particularly add to that. But, I mean, you mentioned just, you know, him sort of filling a lot of gaps, especially on the defensive end. I mean, I remember... and this is embarrassing because I'm going to forget which specific game it was, but I did a playback with Stephen Glassby earlier this season on the No Ceilings uh, playback channel. And basically Grady Dick just went off in the first half. I think he had like 14 mm-hmm. at halftime, something like that. And the second half, it might've been Alabama, but anyway, second half, he's just completely blotted out of the game offensively. You know, they're, they're doubling him as soon as he crosses half court. Yeah. Right? And you know, a lot of the questions Stephen and I had were, okay, what's he going to do now, right? What's he going to do when he's forced into this situation where they're basically saying, we're going to let anybody else beat you. And he showed a lot more as a playmaker, you know, in that second half than I think I'd seen from him before. And that was something that's really interesting to me because on the one hand, I mean, he's not going to be doubled in that way at the NBA level. I would be stunned Mm, if he's, you know, (laughs) double the moment he crosses half court, you know, at any point in his rookie season. But, you know, that was a situation where he was basically forced out of his comfort zone And, you know, the sort of Bob Myers classic thing is, right, you know, we take away your best thing. What are you going to do out there? Right. And Mm -hmm. in this game, Grady Dick was absolutely forced off the three point line is like, we are not going to let you shoot like 30 feet away from the basket. You catch the ball. We're doubling you. We don't care. Let somebody else beat us. And, you know, to his credit, he, he was able to pull that off in a way that, you know, I wasn't sure he would be able to do, you know, sort of dicing up as a playmaker, you know, really focusing more on the defensive end, you know, because he was, again, getting doubled every time he crossed that court, right? That's the kind of thing where I think that makes me more optimistic about his longer term fit with the Thunder, especially since, you know, he's going to be able to help out on defense much more than Jed Howard much more quickly but, you know, again, I have Howard higher on my board because I think that what he can do on the offensive end is, you know, so much further ahead of what Grady Dick can do. And sure, it's kind of, you know, shoring up a strong point for the Thunder to have Jed Howard out there. But the flip side is, you know, again, you run out a lineup with Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Shea Gildress Alexander, Jed Howard, Chet Holmgren, all five of those guys can, you know, do work with the ball in their hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have... I don't know. I mean, you have two you know, pretty rough defenders in SGA and Jet Howard. You, know, you have one pretty questionable defender in Josh Giddy. You have a really solid defender, especially for a rookie last year in Jalen Williams. And mm-hmm. you have, you know, one of the better defensive prospects we've seen in a while in Chet Holmgren, right? That's a team mm-hmm. that offensively, how do you stop them? And defensively, even with those sort of weak points, the smallest guy out there is 6'5". You can yeah. switch pretty much everything and you know, maybe, you know, you won't have the best defensive pieces out there, but you can do a lot of swarming that you couldn't with, you know, sort of a weirder size Masters across the roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, either way, when you look at it, I mean, things are getting scary in Oklahoma City, like it's in like a good way too, obviously. And one last thing I'll bring up about Grady Dick is one of his most recent games against Howard was one of his best overall games across the board. He had uh, 19 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, and three steals. And it just shows like when his shot is um, falling, he can do other things too. It's not that, you know, if he's not scoring, he, you know, goes back to the, doing this or, you know, playmaking and rebounding, but he can do all of them at once, which is just another um, aspect of his game I like as well.
0: All right. So let's now move on to three more prospects. So let's move on to the three prospects that you sort of discussed in detail here and we'll get to your particularly favorite pick last but let's start out by talking about Bilal Koulibaly who has had one of the most meteoric rises up draft boards in the last couple months of you know yeah. anyone in the wild you know not just in in this draft class but you know he went from you know essentially the second league team in France to you know call up to the big club to play alongside Victor Wemanyama. and you know he's been much more effective in the playoffs than he was in the regular season for the big club you know freaking things out as the season went along but he's someone who you know I think maybe month and a half ago it would have seemed really aggressive to mock him to the thunder here and you know as we sit here today it seems more and more possible that he'll be in the consideration set this high up in the draft.
1: Yeah. And like his rise from the beginning of the season to now, I mean, when Victor and Scoot matched up in like November, I think it was for the first time, no one was like watching Bilal Koulibaly. I mean, there was no discussions about him and that just shows like his progression over the season. I think he was, you know, only averaging like six points per game or something to now where he's I mean, to lead uh, the Metropolitan 92 to the finals, he dropped like 16 points, four assists, two, two rebounds, two seals, And that just says a lot about how much trust he has um, in his coaching staff and his teammates around him as an 18-year-old. <laughs> and one of the things I love about Bilal is that he just pops off the film when you watch him. And like, it's something like you can go by the numbers and whatnot, but like on an eye test, like he'll flash with flying colors. I mean he has a seven three wingspan he's six foot six has a ton of pop and juice, and he just like glides <laughs> down the court. it seems like, and I just love his slashing ability too um I think there was this one pass in the last game uh that Wemmy made to him, and he just dunked the ball with like <laughs> everything in him off like one of these cuts that he made um from like the left corner, and I was just like, man, him and like josh giddy s g a and that like they'll be cooking. And I just think Bilal is such an awesome pick for the Thunder here. Like he is one of my favorites here for sure. And like, um I just think he offers so much and he's also has a ton of upside and raw potential to his game too.
0: Yeah. So the regular season numbers, as you mentioned, you know, once he made the jump up to LNB pro a rather than pro B league, which is where he started the season, you know, five points a game, 3.1 rebounds a game, just under an assist and a steal per game in 18 minutes. You know, it doesn't exactly leap off the page, Right but mm-hmm. pun not intended now i <laughs> yeah okay I, I feel bad about that one but you know that. the I get that all the time <laughs> that makes me feel even worse so my apologies <laughs> no but i think you mentioned the cutting and that's that's huge you know especially with those three playmaking forces that the thunder have mm-hmm. you know all the defensive attention pretty much is going to be going to SGA and giddy and J Dub, right so if you're cool of bali and you just have a nose for cutting to the basket you're going to get a lot of those opportunities and you know it's not just the cutting to the rim in the half court you know it's the leaking out in transition you know that length his ability to get up the floor quickly you know that'll really help the thunder sort of push the pace and then you know in the very small sample size of his time in the pro a league, you know, he did shoot 45% from three, again, really tiny sample size. He also shot 60% mm-hmm. for the free throw line. I'm yeah. not entirely sure where he's at with his shot at this point. I don't think he's anywhere near a 45% three point shooter, but mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, and he's also shown in the playoffs. I think he's much better than like a 60% kind of guy from the line. Right. I think that's just, I think that's more of an artifact of small sample size than anything, but, Ultimately, I mean, if he gets to the point where he's a decent corner shooter, but is mostly just cutting and filling the lane and, you know, growing into his game as, you know, a ball handler, you know, doing things with the ball in his hands, he's someone who can be really effective, you know, again, sort of like Howard, except with less playmaking juice, right? Do a lot without yeah. the ball in his hands that can sort of help the rest of the squad coalesce.
1: Yeah, and like with like, I think he's comfortable like off the of dribble and stuff like I buy um, his handle and ball and everything but I think you know he is young he is kind of turnover prone and that's just him like he'll progress in that like sometimes he the game kind of looks a little too fast at times like and that's gonna happen right you're not gonna make the perfect pass or decision all the time Um, that just comes with growing I mean he's only 18 and I think he's a lot more comfortable as you mentioned in the corner off the catch kind of you know others play make for him to get to his shots rather than him right now creating his own shots and i think in the pick and roll too he's more um looking to pass or you know pick out to guys rather than or obviously uh, uh, attack the rim um right then to shoot off it as of now Uh, but i think he'll eventually get there um but that's just one of the things in his game that he'll obviously work uh, look to work on
0: yeah, and we mentioned you know, some of the at-rim finishing stuff, but I do just want to particularly highlight something that you mentioned in the <laughs> article. Shooting 67.4% at the rim. Jeez. Those are center <laughs> numbers. This, is, this dude's an 18-year-old yeah. wig.
1: Yeah, that's insane. When I saw that, I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like every time I see one of those numbers, like, you know, for Darian Seabren last season, I looked at it, I was like, And then, you know, same sort of thing with Mike Miles, especially earlier this season, you look at it, it's like, how, how, (laughs) how is that possible? (laughs) And, you know, it's the kind of thing where if he just does that, right, like, I, you know, I think he will be able to expand his game more at the next level. Mm -hmm. But if in year one, year two, he's just purely like a fifth option, cutting, running in transitions, you know, spotting up from the corner, then first of all, you know, he can focus on the defensive end where he's got. Yeah, you know, his defense itself is sort of hit and miss, but his tools are insane. You know, we mentioned his, yeah. you know, tools in terms of just, you know, sort of the offensive stuff, getting to the rim, throwing down over everybody. But if he's going to the Thunder in this spot, you know, him as like a fifth option cutter guy who can really sort of focus on honing in on the defensive end. I mean, that 7-3 wingspan, you know, especially given that this is a team that ran a really small rotation last year, you know, that additional size, even even though it will be on the wing, that additional size will really help them out.
1: Yeah, and like, with, like, his tools he already has, I love his feel for the game, too, because cutting, I think it's such an underrated part <laughs> of Lear's game. Yes, there games. we go. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you have to know, like, when should I cut? Oh, if my defender is, you know, closing in on me or if he's off me, when to, like, you know, kind of juke him out and cut and all that stuff. And Blau, like, it seems he does it, like, not. I'm not going to say, like, perfectly. No prospect's, like, perfect, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, he just, like, knows when to do it, which I think is such an awesome quality to have especially at his age and he can do it at such an efficient level in the pro a league in France.
0: Yeah. I think of the, you know, six years that this was the NBA deep dives podcast. I think the top three things that were mentioned by Tyler Metcalf, number three footwork, number two, cutting in some capacity. Number one, I hate you for some terrible joke that I made. <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we're getting cutting discussion back on the podcast. That's, that, that's, that's always great. something that we're <laughs> willing to talk about more here.
1: Yes. There we go. Whole episode of cutting in the summer. Get ready.
0: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Just, just 40 minutes. We can bring Albert on to talk about why case and Wallace is a good pair of scissors. Get some cutting discussion.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, might as well just add what are the best shoes for cuts too.
0: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So now let's move on to the fifth prospect that we're talking about here. And I think this, is interesting just because he's so different from the other guys that we've listed but similarly to jet Howard where it's just really 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 buying into shooting 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 and you know playmaking just you know, like fill the offensive holes on this squad this would be a pick to fill the defensive holes on this squad and that's Derek lively the second and with Derek lively you know he had a almost record breakingly Minimal offensive role at Duke, especially given that he was like the number two recruit in his high school class. But, you know, over the course of the year, he got more comfortable, you know, being sort of a garbage guy on offense, but more to the point, he got more comfortable as, you know, a defender and as a shot blocking threat. And you know, that's something that was always part of the skill set, but he really sort of started to lock in on that as the season went along later. And, you know, I think the idea behind Lively, you know, would essentially be sort of ballast for Chet Holmgren in a sense, right? Like rather than the sort of Hendrix Holmgren front court that we mentioned earlier that you know might be a little undersized, but you know, they could switch like crazy, you know, they're excellent shot blocking threats with lively and holmgren it's like, okay, we're relying on Lively to sort of be the, you know, the paint presence, right? You know, have him mm-hmm. anchored down low, have Chet do a lot of switching out on the perimeter, which he was ridiculous at at Gonzaga, right? The lively pick is really just focusing in more and more on the defense. And I think that's, you know, I don't know. I think that's why he's a good prospect to bring up for them, because even though he's so different from sort of the other archetypes that we're looking at, he does sort of give you that backup if you're worried about how Chet's going to hold up against big men at the NBA level, which, you know, we haven't really gotten to see yet because he, you know, played a little bit in summer league and then got hurt.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I'm going to bring up what Maxwell listed in um, the Pelicans lottery team preview he did with Nathan that Lively posted a 12.7 block percentage, which is insane. He averaged over 10 rebounds per 40 minutes. And that's what you're going to get with Lively. And he's also pretty athletic, in my opinion. And I know (laughs) there's been a ton of videos of him shooting. Um, going around Twitter and Here we whatnot. go. It's workout you know, season.
0: It's workout yeah, season, it, Paige.
1: Workout season, guys. And it is exciting. But like he was doing that in high school, right? And like John, I mean, he wasn't able. His role at Duke was not to you know shoot the ball. He was there to run the floor in transition, clean up misses, get second uh, chance opportunities, and ultimately pr- protect the rim. And one of the things that we mentioned earlier was the lack of uh, rim protection that they gave up. You know a ton of points. I don't remember what uh, tile they were um, in that sense, but it was like bottom half of the league or less than the yeah. oh, less than 50%. So he would, game. Yeah, exactly. So he would give them an edge there. And just with him being able to do multiple things and he's not one of, you know, your t- typical seven footers that, you know, looks awkward and how he moves and like, he can move his feet well too. He can stay with smaller, quicker guards. In my opinion, I mean, uh, I think one of the highlight tapes I met made of him on Twitter, like he just like follows them right to the rim and, you know, he sends the shot in the stands. Like he has no problem doing that. And that's just another piece of his game that helped with the Thunder too.
0: There are a lot of issues with defensive catch all metrics. So I don't want to act like this is the be all end all. But when you're number one in the NCAA in defensive box plus minus and number one in the ACC in defensive rating... And, you know, first in the ACC in box plus minus overall, that does mean something, you know, it's like, there are some issues with those defensive stats as sort of a catch all. But when you're at the very top of the leaderboard, you know, right, especially since, you know, this was a good Duke team, but this was not the best team in the country, right. And yet, you know, he's leading in those statistics, you know, as a 20 minute a game player, essentially, and his 11.6% usage rating is insane. And, you know, I think that leads to a lot of what you mentioned of, we saw a lot more from him in high school, right? You know, we saw a lot more of what he could do with the ball in his hands, you know, as a potential four spacing threat, you know, on the one hand, yes, okay, he shot 15% from three at Duke, that was on 13 attempts, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he hits two more of those, and all of a sudden, that's not even a discussion point, right? You know, mm-hmm. the sample size is so tiny that you know, it's really impossible to derive much at all from what he did on the offensive end other than, okay, he, you know, he grabbed a lot of offensive rebounds, right? You know, especially on a rate basis, right? He, you know, was very efficient right around the basket, which was where he took the vast majority of his shots. And Mm -hmm. you could throw most of the shooting numbers out the window. I mean, he took 35 free throws and 13 three-pointers. That's, (laughs) (laughs) that's like, that's one game for Steph Curry and three games for James Harden, you know, with the three <laughs> yeah. point shooting and the free throws, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's not enough of a sample size to draw any definitive conclusions in my mind. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of the workout stuff and it's like, okay, his shot form looks fine. Right. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's not like his shot form looked broken. It's not like you look at it and it's like, Oh, this is a 15% free throw that uh, 15% three point shooter. who's shooting 60% from the line. Right. And that's the kind of thing where I think similarly to what I was mentioning with Kool Bali, Right. Early on, you know, if his role is just fifth man garbage Mm -hmm. type, he's shown that he can do that offensively at Duke and still be incredibly effective, you know, again, leading not just in defensive box plus minus, but in overall box plus minus, right? You know, he's contributing enough on the offensive end that you can just let him loose on the defensive end and let him destroy things. And, you know, the Chet Holmgren, Derek Lively court instantly turns this team from, you know depending on which numbers you're looking at, right, around average defense, right? You know, slightly above Mm. in defensive rating, you know, slightly below average in points per game. That becomes a really solid defense pretty quickly with those two. And, you know, you mentioned in the section we're about to get to that, you know, almost all rookies struggle defensively, and that's certainly part of it. But, you know, with Chet Holmgren, I think there's a very small chance that he's not one of those guys who is a puss defensively in year one. I would also be surprised Mm -hmm. if Lively is not a plus defensively in year one. I'm worried about what he does on offense, but ultimately that's not the problem for this team, right? You know, they need the floor spacing, certainly, but, you know, in terms of attacking the basket, getting to the rim, right? If Lively is just cleaning up offensive rebounds, cutting and being the role man and pick and rolls, you can do more than enough, even if he barely touches the ball on that end, right? Because a lot of what he's doing is drawing away defensive attention with his size and his athleticism. And then on the other end, just being a deterrent near the paint.
1: Yeah. For sure. And like with Lively too, like I think obviously his role is going to be, you know, a role man finish around the rim um, and all that sort of stuff. But also just having that, you know, he can shoot is a problem for defenses, right? Because you're going to have to keep looking at him like, you know, he's not a back to the basket guy. And just to put like Bilal Kulabali's like uh, rim percentage in perspective, Derek Lively shot 72% at the rim. (laughs) So just like absurd numbers, right? And I think, you know, I'm not expecting him to be, you know, anything crazy on defense in his first year. But just having all the tools and abilities he has, like, it is uh, promising for the Thunder. And I really like, you know, Lively's mindset. I mean, he was a guy in the beginning of the season that he was getting written off completely in the first round. I mean, Ryan Young was starting over him. (laughs) Which, in hindsight, like, that's insane. The number one overall recruit in 2022, like, with a Northwestern transfer, like, no disrespect to Ryan Young, but, you know.
0: But disrespect to Ryan Young. <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> but, I mean, and then, you know, he took that with a grain of salt, and, you know, he ran with it. He really, you know, went into his role what John Shire wanted him to do, be, be a cleanup guy, be a role man, finish on the rim. And, you know, he did that. And I think that's what he's going to bring to the Thunder, that, you know, hey, I can play in that role, and I can, you know, help this team um, where they struggle.
0: I'm really glad that you brought up the acceptance of the role thing, because I mean, we're talking about the back to back number one recruits in their Mm -hmm. high school class. Imagine how much of a shit Gigi Jackson would have flipped if he had an 11.6% usage rate. Yeah, Right? Like, you know, not to, not to, you know, throw shots at Gigi Jackson. But I think the comparison is, you know, really indicative. Mm -hmm. This is you know, again, the number one recruit in his high school class, right. You know, RSCI, I believe had Derek Whitehead ahead of him, but, you know, depending on where you look, right. Yeah. Either the number one or number two recruit in his high school class, taking a massive backseat on offense, you know, and not really saying anything about it. And instead, you know, not only not saying anything about it, but just putting in that much more extra work on the defensive end, that's really encouraging mm-hmm. for thinking about his fit in an NBA context because, you're not going to be worried about Derek Lively demanding the ball in the post. Right. Cause that's not how he operated in a situation where he would have been, you know, very well within, I mean, you know, he would have had every reason to say, Hey, um, I was, you know, the t- top yeah. recruit and I, you know, less than 12% usage rate. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what usually goes to like the 11th man off the bench, right? Like this is yeah. just such a minimal offensive role. And not only did he, you know, not, you know, brush under the tension of that, but also, you know, really put in the work on the defensive end, right? Like, Okay, I'm not going to get the ball on offense, I'll put in all my effort on the other end of the floor, rather than like, you know, sending shots on Instagram after the game, because even get the ball in his hands at the last minute.
1: Yeah, and I don't think like, I can't name a ton of, you know, number one overall recruits that would do that and like, just yeah. put their head down and kind of be like, okay, like, I guess I have to go back to being, you know, not that guy. Because obviously, like when you get to college, you're playing with other, you know, top recruits, right? Especially at Duke. Yeah. But for a number one guy that, you know, has had all the praise and, you know, the accolades go, go on with it and just really buy in, especially, you know, eighteen, nineteen is awesome to see.
0: All right, we're going to take another quick break and then we will wrap up with your last potential prospect and then some potential wildcard picks for the Thunder here. All right. So we've gone through five of the six prospects that we featured in this article as potential picks for the Thunder here. So this sixth one was all you. So I'm going to let you run with this here. You went with Jordan Hawkins as a potential fit for the Thunder here. And I think he fits with a lot of what we've already been talking about as potential ideas for this squad.
1: Yeah. And I think it's I kind of wrote like, you know, it's kind of a curveball that I am writing about Jordan Hawkins. I haven't really seen it. Anywhere, but I am such like a Jordan Hawkins believer. I think in our last board uh, submission, I had him at 10. <laughs> so if that tells you anything, you know, I, I love him. I think he brings obviously shooting touch, you know, he's six foot six and he is, it's just so awesome to watch him run off screens and how he just constantly makes the defense sink. And I, I know he, obviously I want him to gain a little bit more weight and strength. But, you know, as we say, it will come with time, right? But I just think he would fit in so well with this Thunder Squad and the young core that they're building that I just think he and especially going back to his freshman season at UConn to now, he actually increased his three point percentage. It was like thirty three point three percent his freshman season to this to this year, which was like thirty eight point eight percent on double the uh, attempts (laughs) he shot nearly like eight attempts per game i think
0: yeah (laughs) yeah nearly eight attempts per game and ridiculously difficult attempts right you know almost all of these are you know crazy deep or he's run off two screens before he gets the ball and you know it's the kind of thing where you know again with jet howard it's like okay what does he do off the ball right with jordan Mm -hmm. hawkins he's actively destroying defensive off the ball right he he does his best work without the ball in his hands right you know he's He's the kind of guy who, you know, if you have a few plays in the playbook that are just, you know, pin down screens for Jordan Hawkins, right? You're going to completely just, you know, leave the defense out of sorts. And it's the kind of thing where a 10-year veteran is going to show up and says, oh God, I have to guard that kid tonight, right? And especially, you know, with the rest of this Thunder squad, you know, just the ability for Hawkins to be, you you mentioned 41.3% on catch and shoots, right? He's shooting 38% on a wildly crazy volume of, really difficult yeah. three point attempts and you know on easier catch and shoot ones right he's a 40% plus guy and you know if they just add a couple plays that are just run him around pin downs defenses have to you know look you know look the other day look the other way when he's coming right and yeah. you know it's the kind of thing where if he just has a couple of those where he runs around pin downs, then the rest of the game defense is like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And then that extra, you know, that extra half second that they're going to be staring and waiting where Jordan Hawkins is. That's when Shea Gildress Alexander blows his way to the rim, right? That's when Josh Giddy, you know, takes the ball through two guys and kicks it out to Jalen Williams in the corner. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing where it just adds an element of chaos that the defense has to deal with that I think would work spectacularly well with the rest of the pieces on the Thunder roster.
1: Yeah. And like a guy like Hawkins, like he's just like annoying to guard all night, <laughs> like to put it like super simple. And he's just like so lethal when he's coming off screens. And like one thing that I found surprising, too, is that he actually shoots better with a hand in his face because, you know, he knows when he comes off the screens that there is a guy trailing him and they're most likely right behind him. Right. Trying to, you know, get in his face, make him take a tough shot or even miss. He's actually shooting like 41 percent <laughs> off guarded catch and shoot. Which, you know, some people, when you're, like, looking at these, like, oh, can he create space for himself? You know, are those just lucky shots? Or can he actually make tough shots? And I believe he can. He can take tough shots. And obviously I would, like, aside from shooting, like, for him to get to the rim a lot more. I think he's athletic enough. I think he has enough uh, twitchiness to his game that he can. Um, But I don't think that's, like, necessarily what he needs to do with his game that he already has in general.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when he gets a runway, yeah. he can just sky <laughs> the rim. Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of thing where, you know, every once in a while you see him throw down this crazy dunk. It's like, why, why don't you do that more?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but, but seriously, though, and I think part of it is, you know, he's he's a bit thin frame-wise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the kind of thing. We'll get into the defensive stuff in a minute. But, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, maybe a little added bulk would sort of help him finishing around the basket, right? But that's the kind of thing where, That's, I think, a longer term thing with Hawkins, right? And he's shown in bursts that he can, you know, he can really do that. It's, you know, can he make that a more regular element of his game is, I think, more of a question, but he does have that ability, right? You know, there are some guys who don't have, you know, the ability to get their head to the rim, right? Jordan Hawkins does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like with him too, like his job isn't going to necessarily get to the rim all the time and, you know, put pressure on other people's big mans that are, you know, guarding the rim he has people that do that already on the thunder, you know, yay, Jalen Williams. So that takes some pressure off him of like, Oh, I have to show like other teams, like I can do this and that, what that just gives him the ability to play his game, how he, how he knows how to.
0: So let's talk about the defensive stuff quickly. Now, the frame, as I mentioned, is a bit of a concern and, Mm -hmm. you know, the the defense isn't anywhere near as much of a highlight as his three-point shooting, but I actually really do buy into his off-ball yeah. defense in particular. But I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, there were numerous possessions this past season for UConn where, like, he would be, you know, dropping into the paint and then, you know, yeah. rotating out to the corner shooter. And a lot of the same sort of, you know, wild, crazy running around screens that he did on the offensive end, he did that on the defensive end a lot too. And I thought his instincts yeah. were really quite good, especially as an off-ball guy the on ball stuff is the concern for me. I mean, you know, again, the frame is a bit of an issue. You know, he can get bumped off his spot, especially on the defensive end. And, you know, given that he's six, five, he's not going to be like a forward. He's really just going to be essentially he's almost one position locked. I mean, he's not good enough with the ball in his hands to be anything close to a point guard. And, you know, if he ever gets bulky enough to deal with bigger wings, it will not be in the shorter term. So You know, I think in the short term, he's pretty much positionally locked at the two. But I think he's good enough off ball that I'm willing to buy into him as, you know, not just someone who can reach the point of average defensively, because like pretty much no one's average defensively their rookie year. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I think he can get to average by year two, year three. But in the longer term, if he can get slightly better on ball, I think he can really be a positive contributor defensively, because I really love a lot of the stuff he does off ball defensively.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, I think he has the athleticism and like that, just like that hustle mentality, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, how he moves when he's on offense, you know, running around like a crazy guy, right, trying to get to his spots and stuff. He's able to read that on the defensive end, too, and just trail guys to their spots because, you know, he's like, hey, I know what you're doing, <laughs> right? So he's kind of yeah. like predicting um, their future moves because he does that to defenses, Um, the on ball stuff, you know, he does have to work on that. I think sometimes he gets a little, you know, uh, lackadaisical sometimes I think, especially like on his closeouts, he kind of just attacks them 90 miles per hour, not really thinking like, Oh, this guy could like pump fake and just, you know, drive right around me to the basket. Um, which I would like to see more of just him kind of being patient in that sense and just like letting the play develop and, you know, him just, you know, locking onto the guy on ball. Um, but I think he'll be able to work on it. I think what he already has, like, as a player and um, his athletic, his athleticism in general will help him out in learning all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely – I'm not going to say in a concern. It's just, like, what he has to work on with, like, any prospect, right? Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing, like, if he did end up at the Thunder with a 12th pick, like, I think he could develop that into at least, you know, an league average defender.
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, the awareness is something that he needs to work on, you know, making better decisions Mm -hmm. on the defensive end. But, you know, the effort is so much more important than the awareness, really. Like there are some guys who even if they know where they're supposed to be, they just, you know, don't put in the defense, the defensive effort. Right. And with Hawkins, that's not going to be the issue. Right. So it's the kind of thing where. Okay, you know, he can get to the point where he'll be at least decent defensively, you know, once he starts making slightly better decisions about closeouts, you know, once he puts 10 to 15 pounds on his frame, right, you know, all of those sorts of things that, you know, for most prospects, you can say, okay, this is the kind of thing that, you know, like, year two, you have 82 games worth of experience reading NBA offenses right like you know year two you have a slightly better idea of where to be than you did year one you know all those sorts of things Mm -hmm. like you know by year two in an nba weight and conditioning program you're you know going to put on that added muscle or you know if you're a player who needs to you know shed a few pounds you're going to shed those few pounds if you put in the effort right but with hawkins the effort is not going to be the question the question is going to be you know can he make slightly better decisions and I'm much more willing to buy into a defender long term if they're putting in the effort than, you know, if they're making all the right reads but being like, "Eh, you know, I'm I I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to leaking out in transition. I'll just let that guy run by to the rim, whatever."
1: Yeah. And like what I kind of mentioned with Jet is like I think with those two kind of guys, like they'll know like I want to play like okay, I got to lock down defensively, otherwise I'm not going to see the floor. And I don't think either of them will have a problem doing that. And one of the things with Hawkins, too, like he had as like a playmaker, he had 45 assists on the season on the season to 48 turnovers, which, you know, obviously isn't the greatest in the limelight. But with the like, Yukon Huskies, they didn't have, you know, your traditional point guard. Right. I mean, at some points, Andre Jackson Jr. was <laughs> the main playmaker. Right. Um, and Hawkins, I don't think it's his inability to be able to pass and make you know passes is that that wasn't his role. Let's yeah. do that. His role was, you know, shoot, score and, you know, do do all that stuff. So I don't think, I think he is, I mean, there's been flashes of him uh, making some kickout passes, some nice reads down low, especially to Sanogo, uh, which I like. And him and Andre Jackson Jr. had a really good chemistry, which I think will translate uh, with the Thunder team as well.
0: Yeah, I think with Hawkins, you know, it's the kind of thing where, especially if he's on the Thunder, he's just going to be asked to make simple reads, right? He's, he's, you know, Josh Giddey is going to be the flashy playmaker. Shea Gildress Mm -hmm. Alexander is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands the most. Jalen Williams is, you know, going to do a lot of creation as well. You know, with Hawkins, it's just like, okay, if you get the ball at the three-point line and you're double teamed 30 feet out, are you going to kick the ball to the right guy But most of the time when, you know, Jordan Hawkins is getting the ball, when he was getting the ball at UConn and when he would theoretically be getting the ball for the Oklahoma City Thunder, his primary responsibility is going to be putting the ball up, right? You know, it's not going to be Mm -hmm. the kind of thing where Jordan, we're expecting you to, you know, be the guy running, running the show here. You know, that's just not the best use of his talents, especially given the rest of the talents that the Thunder have on this roster.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think just like the offensive output that Hawkins brings to the table. Like it's gonna be hard to pass that up, regardless of, you know, his defensive ability and whatnot at twelve. So that's more or less why I think he should at least be a target uh for the Thunder. Um honestly we'll see what happens on draft night, right? But I think that of the six players we talked about, all six have a like a real good uh what's it called? Real good uh story for them to, you know, be picked by them. So
0: so before we wrap this one up, I just want to think through some potential wildcard options for the Thunder. So, you know, this is a team that in the past has shown, you know, not only a willingness, but almost a desire to pick their guy, regardless of where they end up in the draft, right? And, you know, there were plenty of people last season who were questioning the Uzman Jang at 11 and Jalen Williams at 12 picks. And you know, Uzman Jang, the sample size of what we saw from him is very small. You know, I think it's, It's way too early to make a decision, you know, on any of these prospects, obviously. But, you know, with Jalen Williams, the early returns on taking him with 12 are looking pretty good. I mean, you know, finishing second in (laughs) rookie of the year voting is pretty solid, especially, you know, given that he's the guy you're getting after, you know, after, right? He's the later pick, right? Mm -hmm. Not, you know, you're getting, you know, Chet Holmgren back in the fold as well. But this is a team, ultimately, that has shown a willingness to make surprise picks. And more often than not, it has worked out for them so who do you think might be a potential surprise guy? So, you know, someone who's further down a lot of boards, but maybe Sam Presti says, you know what? This is my guy. I'm going to take the chance. Go for it.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Let's see. I feel like there's a few different ways I could go here. If we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, if they're to trade up and whatnot, I would say Jairus Walker, possibly. Oh, um,
0: <laughs> oh Jairus Walker on this squad. Goodless. Good. <laughs> that would be insane.
1: So I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, I just saw like, you know, uh he's working out for the Pacers and with Hendricks too, and like a lot of back and forth with those two prospects, right? They bring some similar things but a lot of different qualities that could help the Thunder, right? But I if I'm thinking like more realistically, I think Kobe Bufkin's also a good pick. Mm. Um I know I mean, our, I mean, Metcalf has been on him for, I mean, the beginning of the draft cycle, it seems like. (laughs) Um, And Buffkin just slowly started to rise as well. I mean, he offers, uh, you know, that slashing ability, that rim finishing ability. I think he's also uh, like a 60% guy at the rim too. Uh, And he can also shoot, right? And he brings those, you know, quick hands, offensive ability that, you know, if you're looking at Jet Howard or you know Hawkins or Grady, they necessarily don't, right? So that's the thing to take in consideration that I think could be something that the Thunder like. And with uh, what uh, Buffkin measured at, he was 6'4 without shoes, which is awesome. He was actually his listed height. Uh, so that's the thing to think about too. I think uh, they those two players could definitely be in, in play.
0: So I have one that I think is sort of more of a quote-unquote safer pick mm-hmm. which you know I think sort of falls in a similar vein to honestly to Chet Howard in a lot of ways I've been high on Chris Murray all season and yeah. I think he's someone who if Sam Presti says like look you know we're we've got a really solid roster we've got our superstar Shea Alexander we've got Chet Holmgren who you know profiles as a really really strong number two we haven't seen anything from him yet but You know, it's pretty easy to envision a future roster of okay, Shea is the number one guy, Chet's the number two guy, and uh, J Dub's the number three guy, and Josh Giddey's doing a lot Mm -hmm. of playmaking, right? Like that's you know an offensive hierarchy that if you know Sam Presti decides, all right, that's our offensive hierarchy. What do we need? We need a fifth starter. You know, his twin brother Keegan is a very different prospect, but that's essentially the bet that Monty McNair made this past season of. Keegan's going to be our fifth starter. He's going to be an exceptional floor spacer, you know, and especially October, November this season, Keegan Murray is a lot, was a lot more of what I think we're going to see from Chris Murray. You know, Keegan wasn't asked to do really anything with the ball in his hands, right? It's just, if you get the ball Mm -hmm. shoot and, you know, (laughs) it took him a bit to figure things out defensively. And the first couple months of the season, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The first couple months of the season, Keegan Murray was bad defensively. He was, he was bad the first couple months of the year. And, by the end of the season, though, he'd gotten to the point where, you know, he was actually sticking with guys, you know, he figured out a lot of the positioning stuff, especially his struggles early on was, you know, he looked a step slow in a way that concerned me. And over the course of the season, it was more, oh, it's, it's not as much that he's a step slow as just that he's unsure of where he's supposed to go. And he's, you know, hesitating, he's not committing in any one direction. And so he's getting blown by because, you know, he's, you know, not sure whether he's committing to the drive or committing to, you know pushing the guy off the three-point line and i think with chris you know if sam pressy says look chris murray is going to be the fifth shooter right he's going to you know basically mm-hmm. just shoot on offense and be a six eight guy who can you know play make he's a pretty good block steals guy you know on the defensive end so that's i think sort of the safe pick that you know maybe sam pressy just decides we just need one more guy to fill this specific role and chris murray is that guy I think Colby Jones could be a very similar sort of pick yeah. in, okay, we just need a gap filler, right? We just need the fifth starter and we need that fifth starter to cover as many holes of the other four guys as possible. And, you know, I think that that's an easier thing to see with Chris Murray than Colby Jones, because he's got a couple of inches on him, right? I mean, what this team mm-hmm. needs is a power forward, not like, you know, unless you want to decide that Jalen Williams is actually going to be a power forward in the longer term, or if Giddy is going to be a four, which, I think, you know, sure, if that's your decision, fine. But I think, you know, Chris Murray, I think slots into a role in this roster pretty cleanly that if Sam Presti decides that he's the guy to fill that role, I think he could be the pick there. The third guy I want to bring up, and I deeply hesitate to do this because I have been (laughs) lower on him than pretty much the entire rest of the No Ceilings team this season, but I do have to acknowledge that there is some sense to trying to bring in Bryce Sensabaugh as just a pure shooting floor spacing threat. You seem to like that one. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, when we uh, were talking about it on uh, Thunder Chat's uh, podcast, Topic Thunder, I brought up Bryce. Um, I know there's been kind of like some mud in the water, right, over the past few weeks of like, you know, his medicals and stuff like that are, you know, kind of get you on edge, right? Like, oh, is he gonna go in the lottery? You know, just like stuff to be aware about, right? Um, but yeah. I think same with Hawkins. Like I buy what he can do on offense so much, and like Bryce is getting in shape too. Like he has a built, built uh frame at six foot six, and he just offers <clears throat> a lot. Um, and that way too, like he's a tough shot maker. He can also he thrives on post ups and you know backing down smaller, faster guards on him. I think he's probably uh, like a three three maybe uh, I wouldn't really say four two or three probably three is probably a sweet spot um but I really like him I'm glad you brought them up I also like Chris Murray a lot too I know he's been one of your guys the whole cycle um and just like taking this to kind of like just for fun um obviously they have the 35 and 37 pick and I was just looking at my board and I actually have Hame Haquez and Julian Phillips there so
0: two more of my guys <laughs> right in my wheelhouse here perfect <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think obviously I think Jaime might go higher than we may think too, right? But I think just like looking like that'd be awesome. Perfect fit. You know, you got a veteran guy that can kind of do it all. Another guy like Grady that you just know what you're what you're getting from Jaime. Um, and with Julian Phillips, he has so much upside on the offensive end that I don't think he's really had the chance to unlock, but he's such he's so long and lanky, and like he's such a plus defensively that he would fit right in for the thunder off the bench.
0: Yeah. Julian Phillips was an absolute advanced stats darling. I mean, especially earlier in the year, it was just insane, like 97th percentile across the board. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, he had the best vertical leap, the combine 43 inches, just absolutely insane athleticism. And he's, you know, a ball of clay ready to be molded on the defensive end and Mm -hmm. spectacular, you know, It's the kind of thing where, again, back to the fifth option idea, right? You know, he's spectacularly efficient in a really small offensive role. And he would basically be asked to do exactly the same thing for OKC, right? OK, just cut to the rim, you know, destroy people at the basket, focus most of your energy on the defensive end. And every once in a while this season at Tennessee, you would see a flash or something from Julian Phillips that would, you know, just make your eyes bulge out of your head. Like, yeah, (laughs) what this guy can become is truly outstanding and it's the kind of thing where you know if you get him at 35 and Jaime at 37, Deal.
1: right? That's
0: that's two more spots in your rotation that you've given a massive upgrade to. The thing with sensible now <laughs> Look, I have bought into his offense the whole season. I, I think it would be foolish for me to say that I don't buy into what he can do on the offensive end. Spectacular mm-hmm. three level scorer, you know, can create a shot at all three levels. I'm really worried about the defense. And that's ultimately yeah. what it comes down to. For me, you know, this is a team that, you know, it's not like they have one of the worst defenses in the league, right? But they really can't afford to add a hole in my mind. And I think that until I see evidence otherwise, I'm not convinced that Bryce Senseball will not be such a defensive minus that they have to scheme around him in ways that makes the rest of the wa- the roster sort of weird. So, you know, offensively, if Sam Presti decides, look, we just, you know, we're gonna be, you know, we're not gonna be a team that's like top 10 offense, top 10 defense. We're gonna be like top three offense and hopefully top half of the league defense. I think Bryce Sensabaugh fits into that construct. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the kind of team that Mark Dagnal wants to cult wants to coach. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, again, the the defense with Sensibaugh really, really concerns me more than almost anyone, I think, in the first round of the draft. And that's that's where I'm hesitating, is just because mm-hmm. this Thunder team was top five in points per game last season, right? This is not a team that struggles to put the ball in the basket. And with Sensibaugh, you know, he does fill in their three point shooting weakness, you know. Even though they scored at the rate they did last season, the three point shooting was not quite there. Senball definitely helps out with that, but I'm worried about him taking more off the table than you know a safer sort of pick like Chris Murray, where it's like, okay, you know he's not gonna be you know all defensive team, right, but by year two, year three, I'm pretty confident that Chris Murray can be you know maybe slightly below average to average, right, which is mm-hmm. kind of where you know, Keegan kind of reached the point of being like solidly below average by the end of the year rather than terrible like he was at the start of the year. I think you can get that from Chris Murray by year two or three. I'm not sure when or even if Bryce Setzabal is going to get to the point where he's not a sieve defensively.
1: Yeah, I completely uh, get where you're coming from in that sense. And like, I don't think the Thunder can really afford to like be hiding someone on defense, essentially. And like he has some knee issues going on. Like, no one really knows like what's really going on with that right so that's just another thing to be worried about like was he dealing with that all year you know in that sense and like him losing weight could be a factor of like you know not putting as much uh weight and pressure on that knee you know it's just a lot of things that you're kind of like oh like i'm not really sure right but with like a chris murray or like a grady dick or like a taylor Hendricks, jaris walker you know Jaime and julian like you know what they're about and what you're getting which as a Thunder, like, that makes you feel good, like, wherever you're picking and who um, you're about to get with your picks.
0: Yeah, and that's, I think, you know, kind of what I was mentioning before in the idea of this Thunder team has a pretty solid, like, top three offensively, even without Chet Holmgren in the fold, right? You know, I'm not sure what they need as another offensive superstar. I think what they need is just someone who can, you know, help out defensively, help out from the three-point line, and not really detract from anything else that they're doing you know not clog up the lane right not you know be a defensive problem to the point where it's like chet spending half of his time trying to cover for the guy right i think ultimately they have such a solid top group i mean like they have an mvp candidate they have you know someone who i think you know has a pretty good chance of being an all-star sooner rather than later in jill williams and Mm -hmm. someone in chet holmgren who was the number one player in last year's class with a bullet in my mind right and we have yet to see what we're getting from Chet Holmgren, but you know, if he's second or third option on offense, you know, SGA, J-Dub, Josh Giddey running the show, you know, they don't necessarily need to take a home run swing, right? They just, yeah. you know, need more pieces in that rotation that will help them out on both ends of the floor. And that's sort of where the concern comes in for me with Sensabaugh or, you know, a number of other players who you could project as potential, you know, swing for the fence, swing for the fences, picks for the thunder, I think they're one of the rare teams in the lottery that doesn't necessarily need a strength defense.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, like, as long as they, you know, get players that, you know, are their guys, so to speak, and, you know, address the needs that they're already struggling with, like we mentioned, you know, rim finishing, size, um, strength shooting, and just the versatile guys, I think they'll be in a great position to, you know, make the playoffs in the Western Conference and kind of just build off that. Um, because, you know, they only they don't have a player on their current roster that is over 30, <laughs> which is Insane. crazy, too. So, I mean, it's the future is so bright. And like, I think with Chet, too, like since we haven't gotten to see him, like, I don't know if we are ready for like the Thunder um this upcoming season and what they're like able to do. So,
0: yeah, it, it's exciting times, certainly. And, you know, even if this season was sort of a positive outlier for them you know, ultimately they were, you know, they were expected to be like one of the worst teams in the league before check got hurt, Right. Mm -hmm. And instead they had, you know, probably the second most positive surprise season in the league behind my Sacramento Kings. Right. So, you know, this, this is a team that definitely it's on the upswing, you know, the, the future is bright certainly. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, their future might, you know, their future is going to be bright no matter who they pick in this draft and how they turn Mm -hmm. out. But If they get the right pick at 12, this can quickly turn in, you know, from a bottom part of the play in picture team to like a solid top six team really quickly.
1: Yeah. And like the Western conference is just so packed already, you know, a ton of coaching changes and, you know, all these things like, you know, like your Kings made the playoffs for the first time in 15, 16 years. And, uh, you know, my son's had maybe the top disappointing season the NBA (laughs) 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 or second, but, uh. That, I, I think the I Bucks think, have
0: that one nailed down.
1: Yeah.
0: Let's let's not get too far here, Thank Paige.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I, I, I don't really think like with all of the prospects we've discussed, um, you can't really go wrong, which is a, a good thing for the Thunder. It's a good uh, need to have. And I'm just excited to come June 22nd, what they're going to do. And if the Thunder do anything when it comes to draft night, there's going to be surprises. So we'll have to see. All
0: right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. Yeah, we we went on for a while here.
1: Yeah, People are probably sick of us talking.
0: <laughs> well, people are probably sick of me talking five minutes in. But hey, you know, we move.
1: <laughs> Life goes on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. She is Paige Auto. You can find her at Paige Auto underscore on Twitter. And you can, of course, find her written work on noceilingsmba.com. You can find my written work on noceilingsnba.com as well. And you can find me on Twitter at nba johnson. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dive specific portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.